0: My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickle's and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Todd Rogers is a professor of public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. His work supports student success and attendance, strengthens democracy, and improves communication. Todd earned an undergraduate degree in religion and psychology from Williams College, a master's degree in social psychology from Harvard, and a PhD in organizational behavior from Harvard. I hope you enjoy learning from Todd Rogers again, because I certainly did. Todd, it's great to catch up again today. I'm approaching the 100th episode of the podcast, but this episode will be different and distinguished from all previous episodes for at least one reason. You are the first repeat guest. So thanks for coming on again today.
1: Thanks, Nate. That's a, it's quite an honor.
0: One of the reasons I wanted to interview you again is because your book, Writing for Busy Readers, was just released.
1: And secondly, we had a
0: fantastic conversation. So I thought it'd be great to touch on a few more topics from your excellent book.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and I'm psyched to continue it.
0: So the first principle from your book is less is more. And from your research, why is brevity so important?
1: So practically, brevity is important because people are more likely to read short things and more likely to read everything in a short text. It's just more effective. People are busy, and they are skimming, and they're around. around. Uh, at a higher level, brevity is important because one of the big risks we have when we write is that we will just deter people from reading anything that we write that, uh, I've started using this metaphor. I don't know if it's a good one or not, but, but, uh, if you think of readers as, as skittish, like if you use the word forbearance, they're just going to run away and never come back to whatever it is that you wrote. (laughs) And so brevity is important both because it, uh, it's just more effective because everyone's busy and they're more likely to engage with it. And they're more likely to get what you need out of it. Uh, and I think that the reason is because there's a real big risk of deterrence of just people like running away from whatever you wrote, saying they'll get to it later and just not.
0: I've worked at a number of different organizations over my life. And so often, not not as much now as an academic, I do feel like academics are generally, you know, we're used to reading kind of longer things, though we're not immune from these rules. But so often I would find that I would email something and then somebody would ask me the question, you know, and it was like, it was in the email. But what I like about your approach is like, that's my fault. If I can't get somebody to read the email because I packed too much in, you know, I've, I've got to take that responsibility on myself that I've made it difficult for them. I'm, I'm punishing them. They, they feel like they're being punished to read my email and that's why they're not reading it. They don't want to read it.
1: Yeah, it's just unkind to write in that way to people. It's unkind to them because if they read it, it's just gonna take a lot of time and it's just ineffective. This is coming out in September of 2023. Schools will be starting up again. You don't have to look far to, if you have any kids in school, to read a message that schools send that are just unnavigable and extremely long and beautifully written and totally complete but not a single person will have made their way all the way through and there's this anxiety that i have as a re- as a reader of these things that like the key nugget of information is somewhere in here and i don't know if i got it or not
0: because as you say and as the research shows basically everybody skims we skim Our- emails we skim texts we skim
1: yeah, everybody skims. And so, the, the real thesis of the book, Writing for Busy Readers, that Jessica Lasky Fink and I have, uh, is that we need to approach writing from the perspective of how do people actually read? And they, and so now we need to write in a way that reflects the way people actually read. They don't read carefully, slowly, completely, they jump around, and their goal is to move on as quickly as possible. And if we accommodate that, then we can achieve our goals and help them achieve their goal of moving on.
0: Yeah, I think that's it's such a good takeaway. It's not about what how how full we want to pack the message. It's all about how can we get them to know the things that we want them to know. We have to, you know, like you say, you have to put yourself in the place of the reader. And when you do that, a completely flips your mindset and it's no longer about the most comprehensive detailed two page email. It's here's two or three bullet points. These are the key facts, you know, come to meeting X, Y, and Z. We'll talk about more or, you know, next week we'll send you two or three more bullet points.
1: Yeah. And you don't, you don't have to eliminate all detail. Like there are ways that we can structure our writing so that it there's detail for those who want it. And those who don't can just know exactly where they're supposed to go to move on. And so you can imagine having it as attachments. You can imagine having it below. You can imagine having structure where you have headings where it's like, you want to learn more about this? Here are the bullets for it. But otherwise, move on. And so in the book, like we, we, we are not prescriptive about exactly how you should write. Well, we, are, we have lots of examples and illustrations of different strategies you can use, but there are uh, a handful of categories. Less is more is one of them that we were talking about.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, as I, as I look through some of the examples in the book and you do kind of the side-by-side comparison and you know, the long ones compared to the shorter ones where you, you do the side-by-side comparison, like here's the short ones. And it's just like, your mind goes to the short ones. And I don't even ever want to go to the long ones because it's just so much easier to read the short ones. And I, and I, just figure like, well, I'm going to get basically the same information out of the short one. So I'm not going to go to the long one.
1: Yeah, there's this fun uh, activity I do in class where I show a one paragraph message or a six paragraph message. Um, And I ask, which one would you do first? (laughs) Which one would you respond to first or read first? And uh, uh, like literally 99%. It's like, it's like one of the classic examples in, in behavioral science where it's like you get a hundred percent of people moving, saying the same thing. And that's really hard because half the time they're not even listening.
0: Yeah. In our field. So (laughs) often it's like, if you can get 55, 45, if you can get 60, 40, that's like a
1: big deal.
0: And so, yeah, when you're talking 99%, then yeah, this is, it's just massive. Well, something that's that's coming up a lot is chat GPT. And in your view, Is this going to help people be more effective communicators? Like the advent of AI, how do you see this impacting us? And and is this going to be a net benefit in terms of um, communicating
1: through writing? Jessica and I were talking about it last week where our book, we finished our book a month after ChatGPT was released. Wow, And so only in the very end, we have a paragraph where we, where we talk about it, but that it's this memorable moment because I really do, and I don't know where you are on this, but I, I think that, that basically the advent and release of an accessible, easy to use generative AI is, it's going to be a moment that we remember yeah. uh, with the transition period. Uh, it's an incredible tool, but there are a couple of things that it, it doesn't replace humans in writing. So there's a couple of things that our sidekick, generative AI, is not going to be able to do for us when it comes to writing. It doesn't know our goals. We write with a purpose. We have some objective. We know what that is. It's not It's not possible for uh, the the tool that supports us to know our goals. Yeah. We know our readers, right? Like you and I have norms of how we communicate, and it un, unless it has complete, you know, like omniscience about the, the way we talk to each other and the way we write, they're in different norms, like how how you and I communicate and the context. Uh, we have taste, which is some like in addition to effectiveness, we also just have a style that we like to put forward. So we have goals, we know our readers and the context of what we're communicating about. Uh and we have taste for how we'd like to be seen. And I think that, like, it is really important. Like, generative AI is going to be a tool that supports us in writing, but we still have to know what we're trying to achieve. We right. have to have clarity of what our goals are and reflect the context that we the really like very individual, idiosyncratic context that you and I communicate in one way, and, you know, you and another guest communicate another way.
0: I've been using Chat GPT to give me ideas for podcast titles. And so i what I'll do is I'll write a summary of an episode. I'll upload a chat GPT and I'll say, give me 15 titles. And you know, five to ten of them are just they're they're so good. The alliteration and the double meanings. Like it's it's it does a fantastic job of being create create quote unquote creative. But of course, so often it completely misses the boat because it doesn't understand obviously what my goals are and what I'm trying to get across.
1: I, can I um, throw out to your listeners, if anyone is interested, uh, I created an, a large language model trained on the principles of writing for busy readers. And so what it, it's on our website where you can paste your email and a draft and then it rewrites it according to the principles. Basically, it rewrites it so it's easy for a skimmer to get the key information quickly. And it's, I love it, but but I love it as a teaching tool for myself. Like I, I wrote the book on this stuff yeah. and I still paste my messages in. And like, I never thought, I, that's right. I didn't realize those two ideas should be next to each other and there should be a bullet point on, there should be set, whatever. So um, if you go to the website, uh, and you sign up, you can get access to it. It's, with, uh, yeah, I, I love it. Oh, that's, um, uh, www.writingforbusyreaders.com. So the book is writing for busy readers. It's writingforbusyreaders.com. I just, I just love it. I, I actually wish that you and I, maybe at the end of this, I'll we'll, I'll, we'll share screen and I'll show you. It's just oh, like, it's it. incredible because it, it, it's a teaching tool. I don't think you need to run all your messages through it. You just need to do it a couple times. You're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That that's so much easier to read.
0: Fantastic. So, I can't remember if I told you, I did my dissertation on why we're prone to why I believe we're prone to underestimate AI. And so this was back in 2000, you know, I started in 2016, 2017. And the main idea is that computing speed is basically the backbone of AI. The faster it gets, the more computation it can do, the the better AI is going to get. Well, Computing speed progresses and has progressed for the last about 50 years at an exponential rate. And what do we know about humans and exponents? We're really bad at estimating exponential growth rates, which means there's a there's a decent probability that AI will just keep, keep surprising us. And uh, so one, I was going to say, don't worry that you only dedicated a paragraph to AI in your book, because for your next book, there's going to be some amazing new AI that you'll be able to write about. And and then some new amazing AI will come out right after you publish that next book. Uh, but secondly, this is so cool to think about. And you have this idea about how to communicate effectively. So let's train an AI on that idea. And now we have a specialized AI just for that idea. I mean, this is, this is like opening up lots of avenues in my brain for ways that AI can help us.
1: Totally. I, I like, ChatGPT and BARD and the other uh, tools are good at writing the way we write, and yeah. we've been taught to write well, and what Jessica and I are advocating, and I, I think it's uh, you know the mantra you've heard me say, it that it's more effective, it's also kinder to our readers, but we're advocating for this, this writing effectively, which it doesn't really have a data set to be trained on for effective writing and so currently when you ask chat gpt to make an email more likely to be responded to or or better it writes it better or or and sometimes less well but it, but it changes the writing and often expands it and in ways that i think actually would be counterproductive like adding fancier words um but but you can just train it on hey these are the principles here's some examples and then all of a sudden it uses the tools it has to just uh apply it i yeah i love it i also love it i just it, we were talking I've already said, but I love that it's a teaching tool. Yeah. I like, I don't think we need everything we write to be run through something like this. It it, yeah. I just, we just need, it's just like mind opening to be like, oh, I didn't, I thought that I just labored for 45 minutes on this, like this update. And I run it through and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could have restructured it in this way. That's great. That's cool. And it just sort of opens my mind when I see it.
0: Oh, that's amazing! And something that I noticed from the book as well is so often when we edit, we end up adding more words. When we edit, when I, I like your approach of like you know always do a round of how can I make this simpler, easier words, uh, more clear, uh, less is more, and don't add words. Which, as you said, sometimes ChatGPT will do.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a great paper by um, by a team at UVA led by Gabe Adams called subtraction neglect, which is when you ask people to improve something. And it could be an itinerary for a trip. It could be a, a summary of something you just read. It could be a story that the vast majority of the time they add things. Improvement is adding things. And they ju- people just fail to think that I could improve by removing and subtracting. And so what, what they're saying is, adding more, we tend to add more and tend not to subtract to improve things. And I guess what we're saying is uh, it turns out subtracting, not only do we not subtract, but subtracting in writing tends to be more effective and better.
0: Yeah. That's amazing too, because when I think of improvement, my, the correlation in my brain is just, you know, addition, adding, it's like core improvement is correlated with like more and better. And the phrase addition by subtraction, takes just a little bit of cognitive work. And so, yeah, it's so interesting how we are just like prone to add.
1: Yeah, it's called subtraction neglect, which is just like we don't naturally think that improvement is removal, exactly like you're saying. Uh, And and it turns out that subtraction is not only neglected, it's also an improvement.
0: So last point, Uh, yesterday, I was at a a dinner, Our, our neighbors had invited us over and the, the father is this fantastic professor and they have a son who is just brilliant. I mean, he's going into high school and has read more than 99% of people on planet Earth uh, and he wants to be a writer. And the, the, the parents were saying, um, you can be a, a writer, but just remember there's lots of ways to be a writer. And, and you kind of, you touch on this and you make the point that today we're all writers
1: yeah we're that. that's actually that's what we say we're all writers and it sounds like this precocious kid uh is probably going to have some actual professional writing element to his life uh but we're all we text yeah. we email we like there is a lot of communicating, maybe more than ever, which is hard for people to wrap their heads around. We communicate in writing more now than maybe ever before. Despite the, you know, the, the people who lament the decline of our written word and Twitter and texting and emojis, destroying la- the beauty of language, there are more people writing more than ever before and everyone is writing in some way and one of the things that we really get into that i think surprises people is we run these randomized experiments with text messages where you add a sentence to a text message that's you know from 3 to 4 sentences you decrease the likelihood people will respond <laughs> like it, like it, even our shortest mode of communicating
0: yeah yeah well even on twitter right i mean the expanded tweets i rarely click on the expanded tweets like if you can't get it across you can, if you can't get your message across in 160 characters i'm not so sure i want to read it
1: yeah there are some really cool papers on this too where uh, when you use more complicated language or more unfamiliar words in these posts it decreases people's likelihood of of liking and retweeting them which is cool like i mean it's exactly but we uh what what our my theory is that when people are scanning for what to read they're just quickly repelled By uh, unfamiliar or complex words or language. And so it's like, oh, well, there's so many other things I could be reading. I'm not going to read that. Move on to the next one.
0: So, you know, there's a couple things in my life that have been just like blow my mind experiences. Uh, One is 10 years ago, if you would have asked me, uh, Nate, will you ever watch somebody else play video games? I would have said no and you're out of your mind if you think I would. And, and now I, I have to say that for me, one of the most enjoyable things, just one of my hobbies when I have downtime is watching gamers on Twitch. <laughs> so that just blew my mind. Like I, I would have never predicted it to happen. I do it, I love it. And I just, I, I could have never predicted. The other, another one was I was living in Chile from 2000, 2002, came back to the US and people had just started texting. And I thought, I'm never gonna text. Why would I text? I can just talk to people. But for whatever reason, we are communicating through writing so much more than I ever expected or would have predicted. And to your point, everybody is a writer now. We're all readers. Uh, So it's, it's, it's not an exaggeration for me to say that I think about your work nearly every day. Because as I'm writing, I'm now always thinking like, have I made this easy on the reader? And so I just, I love the, the work you're doing, the message of your book and, and the topic of this episode.
1: Thanks Nate. Yeah. I, I, I love the topic. I think it's, it's um, incredibly easy to apply and useful and Kind for our readers. I also love being on this podcast as the the second as a first recurring guest, and also on it, I learned that you wrote a dissertation on artificial intelligence almost a decade ago. Uh, you're you're really at the bleeding edge of of this. I, I want to interview you as soon as we're off.
0: Awesome. I would love to do it. All credit to my dissertation chair Brian Bonner and Ray Kurzweil, where I got a lot of my ideas. So. Uh, Anyway, Todd, so great to connect again. I always love chatting with you every chance I had. So when the opportunity came up to interview again, there was no hesitation. So uh, just really appreciate you sharing your time and your lessons with me again today. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickels and Dimes. What another great interview with Todd Rogers. First, less is more. Be brief if we want people to read what we write. People skim and 99% of people are more likely to read short text compared to long text. Plus, brevity is kinder to the reader. Second, design for how people read. We read headers, we jump around, we go as fast as possible. So use headers, bold words, and bullet points to make it easy for people to get main ideas quickly. Third, use the AI model which has been trained on Todd's principles. Run your text through his model at writingforbusyreaders.com as I did with this summary. Finally, think addition by subtraction. We improve our writing by subtracting unnecessary words rather than adding more. By following Todd's tips, people will more likely read what we write. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with three requests and one suggestion. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Third, if you give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And now a suggestion. If you're like me and want to remember all of the lessons shared in previous episodes, visit the list of lessons page on my website, natemickle.com, to see all of the lessons that previous guests have shared. Thanks for your support.